Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 19 Hothy That night, most of the Tirnanogian Postal Workers Union Local 1 went to bed early, exhausted. Just Brendan and I were left to tend the roaring fire. Do you think we still need to keep watch? Brendan asked. We've been trouncing around these woods all day. I don't think there's anybody in here. Me neither, but I'm keeping watch just in case one of the postmen goes berserk and shoots us all. Brendan laughed. It was good there was at least one person who got my real-world jokes, even if he didn't always laugh at them. He pulled out a couple of tin mugs and then uncorked a bottle with his teeth and poured us both a drink. To your daddy, Brendan said, holding his mug high. Long live the king. Here, here, I said and drank. Wow! I gasped as firewater traveled down my throat into my chest and then exploded out of my toes. Where did you get this stuff? I was in the mood for a drink, so I kind of found it in uh, S's bag. A thieving policeman? You should be ashamed. I am, he said. Would you like some more? Yes, please. How'd you know it was there? Her father makes the stuff, so I just deduced. You know, Brendan, you should be a detective. I raised my glass. To your little gem, I toasted. He nodded and stretched a pained smile across his face. To Ruby. We drank, and he looked at his mug for a while. What's she like? <laughs> Ruby? He laughed. She's twelve going on 35. Ever since her mom died, she has uh, taken it under herself to be the grand bossy woman of the house. When she's at home, you'd hardly even know she's blind. She's blind? Yeah. She lost her sight in the same accident that killed my wife. What happened? After a deep breath, Brendan said, My wife liked to speed around those back roads. You know, Cobbs Creek, it's not far from your place. I do. It's nice up there. Is that where you live? Yes. My mother found the spot with one of her voodoo divining rods. She said there were ley lines or some such thing there. My wife used to like my mother's craziness. I didn't care about energy lines. I just liked it because it was beautiful. Anyway, my wife was driving in her little red sports car with the top down when... Right outside of our house, a horse ran in front of the car. We were having a conservatory built at the time, and the car slammed sideways into a truck carrying panes of glass. My wife was killed, and Ruby lost her vision with flying shards. He stopped and took another drink. My God, I said, putting my hand on his shoulder. I'm so sorry. Yeah, me too. Then with a forced smile, he said, More booze? I think so, I replied, offering my cup. How long ago was this? About 
two and a half years. Whose horse was it? We never found out. It was injured pretty badly, and my partner arrived about the same time as the ambulance and put it down. I was crazy mad and checked every farm and stable in a 30-mile radius. No one said that they had lost a horse, and I could never trace the markings on the saddle. The horse was saddled? Yes. But there was no rider. Nope, Brendan shook his head. Well, if you ask Ruby about it, she says otherwise. What does she say? You have to realize that she was just nine, but she claims that the horse had a rider dressed in black and that they appeared out of nowhere. She says it's the last thing she ever saw. The next day, everybody gave up trying carrying messages for the trees. We just weren't up to it. The pukas must have some special microchip in their heads because we found the task impossible. The path grew steeper, but the mood was lighter. We no longer looked at each tree as potential assassins. We saw them as they were, lost, lonely souls who had been abandoned by their pastor. Oh, and I wasn't sulking anymore. The previous night's chat with Brendan rolled around in my noggin all morning, and it sparked off memories that in turn ignited unanswered questions. As I watched my aunt riding in front of me, I remembered the first time I had seen her. The memories were vivid and unsettling. Dad going berserk, throwing his axe at her head and knocking her guard off his saddle. The guard hitting the ground and instantly turning into a thousand-year-old swirl of dust. Neve throwing a spear at me and then hightailing it out of there and letting Kilty's henchmen, all dressed in black, knock us out and chain us up in dungeon door. I cantered alongside my aunt. Neve, can I ask you a question? I'm sure you can, Connor, because you just did. Right, I said a bit nervously. Neve had an uncanny ability to instantly put me ill at ease. Do you promise you won't get mad at me? No, came her immediate reply. Okay, how about, do you promise you won't hurt me? She thought about that for a moment and said, no. Oh, well, never mind. I dropped back and waited for her curiosity to get the better of her. And I waited. And waited. About an hour later, I pulled up next to her and said, Okay, I know you're secretly dying to know, so here's my question. How come you helped Kielty find me in the real world? She quickly reached her left hand into her cloak, and with her right hand, she reached for a short knife on her belt. I looked around to see if anybody else was watching. They weren't. When I looked back, Neve had already cut the apple in her hand and handed me half. There was a wicked twinkle in her eyes. I took the apple slice. You like messing with me, don't you? If I understand the meaning of messing with you, then yes, but don't get too flattered. She leaned towards me and, in a conspiratorial whisper, she said, I like messing with everybody. We rode and ate in silence for a little while. Neve sported a little smile. I felt privileged that she had shared that small secret with me. I felt like a nephew. Finally, she said, 
I didn't help guilty. Well, you showed up at my doorstep, and the next thing I know, I had chains for jewelry. Do you not remember that I left when I heard Kielty's men approach? Yes. Why did you do that? Because I was afraid of them, Connor. I do not wish to be unseated from my horse. I'm quite fond of my looks. I would rather not look my age. So how did they find us? They followed me. Remember the soldier that was with me? The guy that fell off the horse and then dusted it? Dusted it. That is an apt way of putting it. Yes, him. I found out later that he was one of Kielty's spies. I feel less sorry for him now, I said. That is what I said when I found out. So how did you find us? I am a very good sorceress, you know, she said without a smile. It was no brag, just fact. I found a war axe that was made the same time as your father's axe was made. The gold inlay in the handle came from the same vein, and it gave off the same... She searched for the words. Magic resonance. It was not easy to track, but as I said, I am very good. Okay, now I see the how, but can I ask you one more question? Why? Why then? I mean, I was going to die in the real world someday. What was your hurry? I wanted to kill you before Kielty did. That was an answer I wasn't expecting. Isn't that taking sibling rivalry a bit too far? I was satisfied with your father's solution. I was happy to see you die in the real world, but when I learned that Kielty was using the Hall of Spells to send forays into the real world looking for you, I had to kill you first. Why? I was afraid that Kielty would make a big spectacle of killing you. Maybe even a public execution. I couldn't have that. I wanted to kill you privately and cleanly. Gee, thanks, I think. I smiled at her, but she did not return it. I took no joy in the task, she said. I know. I put my hand on her arm, and then I changed the subject. So, Kielty sent riders to look for me and Dad even before last summer? My information is that he was looking for years. Where'd you get your information from? Neve smiled. Kielty is not the only one with spies. That night I put it to Brendan that maybe his daughter really did see a rider dressed in black and that maybe they really did appear out of nowhere. But he got angry with me for even suggesting such nonsense and wouldn't speak about it. Later I was awoken by a rustling in the woods. Something was moving out there, and it was something big. The fire was almost out, so I walked up to a nearby tree and asked for wood. An ancient voice appeared in my head. You are not Puka. No, sir, I said aloud to the tree. We seek the Puka. There is a Puka in the forest tonight, he said. Have you spoken to them? 
The puka no longer speak to me. I am alone. I felt so sorry for the old guy. I said, can I take a message to a tree for you? Just don't give me more than one. I can't handle it. I shut my eyes, expecting an onslaught of messages, but none came. What good is one message? The puka have renounced us. We are alone. I heard the familiar creaking of the tree sucking the moisture out of some of its limbs. I said, thank you, sir, and backed off before he cracked off his branches and dropped them to the ground. I stoked the fire and kept watch. I continued to hear something moving in the gloomy dark, but never saw anything. That changed the next morning. Something was in the woods on both sides of us, and whatever it was, it was tracking us. At noon, Araf said he saw a wolf. About an hour later, I saw one, too. Like seeing a shark's dorsal fin in the water, seeing a wolf running low in the forest will make your heart go pitter-pat. The higher we got in the pinelands, the more the trees thinned, and we got a better look at our escorts. It was a pack about ten strong. They shadowed us with military precision, four on each side and two slipping close in at our rear. If we turned in our saddle to look, the two that followed us would slip back into the trees and wait patiently until our eyes turned ahead, and then they would slink back into position. It was unnerving. Essa thought the Puka headquarters was over the rise. I bit my tongue before saying, you think? This crowd was too tense for teasing, and I knew from experience that annoying a stressed Essa was a dangerous thing. The closer we got to the summit, the bolder the wolves got. They moved in closer and no longer attempted to conceal themselves among the few remaining trees. These guys were big. Great Dane-sized, but they looked thin and just a little bit mangy. If you caught their eye, it gave you a feeling that they were unpredictable, capable of anything. Our mounts definitely didn't like them. Horses, I have learned, are traveling machines. They focus on the minutia of the terrain ahead. And because of that, they almost never put a foot wrong. What they don't do well is worry about what's behind them. It pulls their focus. Acorn periodically tried to look behind him, and every time he did, I looked as well. A couple of times, I almost fell off. An explosion of gold light erupted behind me that nearly made me jump out of my skin. The wolves yelped, and I saw one dart into the woods with his fur shooting straight out in all directions. Brendan notched an arrow. Put away your bow, Archer. They are pukas. What did you do? I asked my aunt. I didn't harm anyone, but they were getting a bit too close for my horse's liking. Now they have a better idea of who they are dealing with. The wolves gave us a wider berth, but it didn't last. They slipped in closer, zigzagging behind us, sometimes so close that our horses tried to kick them. Not the kind of thing you want your mount to do unexpectedly. Essa pointed to a rock formation not too far off to the left. That is where I was greeted by Queen Rhiannon the last time I was here. Neve blasted the Pineland dogs again. Any sane creature would have scampered away with their tails between their legs, but I wasn't too sure these creatures were sane. Now that we were closer to the rock wall, I still couldn't decide if it was puka-made or natural. The wall looked like it could have been a long fault line that had collapsed in an earthquake. 
In the middle was an archway. Our plan of riding through the opening and fending off the wolves there was dashed when we saw that thick pine branches blocked the entrance from the other side. Neve, Essa shouted from horseback, can you move those trees? That depends on the trees, Neve shouted back. I may need your help. Everyone, Essa shouted, trying to sound like a seasoned commander, but there was a slight quiver in her voice that betrayed a fear that I think we all were sharing. Dismount quickly and protect the horses while Neve and I clear the gateway. Turlo moved first. He performed a very impressive dismount while in full canter. In midair, even before his feet hit the ground, the banshee blade rocketed out of his sleeve. It surprised the lead packwolf to the point that he stumbled as he slowed. Acorn was barely walking when I dismounted. Still, I almost fell over. We fanned out and put our nervous, snorting horses behind us. The wolves fanned out and paced sideways, snarling, looking for the weaknesses in our defenses. I couldn't help thinking that they were looking at me more than any of the others. Tell me again why I can't shoot one of them, Brendan shouted. Because they are Hothi, Araf said. Now there was a word I hadn't heard before. Haw what? I asked, never taking my eyes off my junkyard dog. We are all Hothi, Araf said. Fairies, imps, leprechauns, feely, elves, brownies, and puka. We are children of the trees. We do not kill each other. You know, I've read some of the history in the land, I said, and that's not exactly true. Well, Araf replied a bit sheepishly, we are not supposed to kill one another. Notice he didn't mention banshees in his little list, Turlo said. One of the wolves made a faint attack at Araf that it, it instantly abandoned. The rest of the pack quickly ran sideways and swapped positions. I don't think now is the time to debate that, Turlo, Raff said. Turlo's reply was almost too soft to hear. That is what they always say. I didn't like the look of the slobber that was drooling off the lips of one of the wolves in front of me. He had a look of desperation about him, and his patience was growing thin. How's the tree pruning going back there, girls? I shouted without turning around. The trees are alive, but they will not speak to us, Neve called back. I do not wish to hurt them. Well, something or someone is going to get hurt real soon, Brendan said, and I would prefer it not to be me. Turlo broke the calm. With a well and proper banshee scream, he lashed out at the two beasts that were facing him. They initially stood the charge with bared fangs, but as he grew closer and louder, they scampered away like poodles being reprimanded by a maid with a broom. When I looked back at the wolves that were dogging me, I was surprised to see that they had crept into almost a lunge length away. I swung the lawnmower and let loose a scream that sounded pretty weedy compared to Turlow's. The wolves backed off, and then, as one, they turned and ran away. I smiled at a raft. Well, I guess that shows them who's boss. Araf didn't look at me. He seemed to look above me. I can only guess what boss means, he said. But I am guessing that the boss is not you. I turned. That's when I saw the bears. 
You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.